As we turn to prayer, I just want to read one more passage of scripture that's going to shape my prayers for us this morning. This is from Isaiah 49, verse 15. Listen to these beautiful words. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Let's pray. Father, as we draw near to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, knowing that we have access to you because his blood was shed, the veil was torn, access has been granted, we've been adopted, we are your children. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to my father and your father. We thank you that we can call you our father. And we're thankful, Lord, to know that right now, since we are in Christ, we can know that you take thought of us. And to think, Lord, that it seems so unnatural for a nursing mother to forget her child, to have no compassion on the son of her womb. Lord, and it would be so highly unlikely for a mother to forget her child. Yet even then, Lord, they may, but you will never forget us. That you, the attention that you give us, the care you show us, is show us is so infinite and so wise, but in some ways, Lord, unseen. And so we pray that you give us eyes today to see just how attentive you are to your people, to see even the instruction in this text and what you're wanting to shape in us really is just a reflection of your own character. So Lord, shape your people, shape our hearts this morning. And I ask you not just to clarify the mission in our minds, but, but to help us, Lord, be shaped by you in our motives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I felt at different times that, um, you know, I just kind of wish every church had the same purpose statement, like mission statement. You know, I've thought to myself, well, every, I mean, at least every Bible-believing, gospel-preaching you know, generally evangelical church, we could have the same mission statement, couldn't we? I get it. I mean, we're, we can all kind of state things differently and put an emphasis in a different spot. But when it all comes down to it, the Lord has spoken in his last will and testament to give us final marching orders. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, Right? baptizing those disciples, teaching and growing those disciples, knowing full well that he's with us by his spirit to the end of the age. And so there's this longing in me, you know, since the mission has been so clarified in scripture and not just clarified, but exemplified, right? Because this is, we saw that through the whole book of Acts. This is the mission that the apostles um, and the early Christians were living out. And so you just long for purpose statements with a great commission focus. You know, something that includes we are to make disciples and we are to help those disciples grow. I mean, just putting those two things together. Or one church had a mission statement that I kind of functionally just ripped off from them, you know, to make more and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. That captures pretty well what the scriptures want us to do. Wouldn't it be refreshing if we all had the same mission statement? But it's not... It's not just about having a clarified mission statement. It's not just about getting the mission right. It's about the motives behind the mission. 
It's about the motives behind the mission. What is it that upholds, or you know, what's the spirit in which we are to make disciples? Both of those are important in Scripture. Clarifying the mission, but also the spirit about which we go, with which we go about the mission. And uh, those motives that God wants for us as we make disciples are also not just clarified, but exemplified in the Scriptures. And that's what we get a window into in our text today is the Apostle Paul is helping us see the kind of motives that should be underneath the mission, that should be upholding and giving fuel to the mission. Now, I think about it, you know, this way. Um, Have you ever seen one of those really cool pictures of icebergs? You know the saying, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Because we know with icebergs, the majority of the mass is underneath the surface. And maybe you've seen one of those really cool pictures that I've seen, like National Geographic cover where it's like, Part of the picture is above the water and part of the picture is below the water, right? So you can see the tip of the iceberg, but then you can see this massive substance of ice underneath the surface. And in our text, in fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, that whole section is kind of Paul's way of going, Let me, you saw the tip of the iceberg, Thessalonians. Now I want to show you what's under the surface, There's so much more under the surface upholding the mission that you've seen us live out in front of you. And so he takes the time to explain what his motives were. And the first six verses that we looked at a few weeks ago, in one sense you could say that was was Paul's way of saying, let me tell you what's not under the surface. He's stating it negatively in order to make the point the kind of motives that shouldn't be upholding the mission. And so you get a lot of negative statements in 1 Thessalonians 2, especially verses 3 through 6. If you're looking there with me, he says, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Or he goes on a little bit further down when he says, we, So we speak not to please man. Our main motive wasn't this people pleasing, man pleasing motive. Or verse 5, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretense for greed. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or for others. In other words, you put it all together and he's going, Look, when it comes to our motives, we weren't out to make a buck. We weren't out to make a name for ourselves. We weren't self-centered and we weren't man-centered. We weren't trying to just please you or anybody else. Our ultimate desire was to please God. That's why we, a few weeks ago, took the time to really linger on that. What is it that controls our hearts? Is it a desire to please man or is it a desire to please God? I'm not gonna re-preach that sermon, but just to say here that that's what's, all those negative things, those, that's not what's under the surface here, okay? But a desire to please God, well, what would that look like? What would that desire to please God look like? What shape would that take um, for the apostles and his coworkers and for other Christians that want to take up that example? And he describes it in very simple but beautiful terms as a motherly and fatherly care for these disciples, That's the kind of motives were motherly and fatherly. He had a motherly way, this motherly way in which he's saying, I cared for you and felt about you. This fatherly way in which I spoke to you and lived in front of you. And you can kind of see them basically broken up if you look at the text. Look at um, verses seven and eight. But we were gentle among you, here's the analogy, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you. So we're going to look at verses 7 and 8. That's going to talk about developing motherly instincts and discipling others. But then verses 9 through 12 is talking about fatherly instincts. So you can look, for example, at verse 11. For you know how, here's the other analogy, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so this motherly and fatherly ministry is what we see. And so what this sermon, you could say, aims to do in a nutshell is to help you develop motherly and fatherly instincts as you disciple other people. To help you develop motherly and fatherly instincts as you disciple people. Because these are the kind of motives that are underneath the mission. Because we can talk ad nauseum about, help, going to make disciples, going to make disciples. But we need to look beneath the surface sometimes to go, okay, what kind of motives should drive us? And that's what this sermon is aimed to help us see. And uh, just a quick note at the beginning, because we're going to talk about these motherly instincts and we're going to talk about these fatherly instincts. But what I don't want you to hear is like me talking to a sister in the church and saying, hey, here's the motherly instincts and then talk to the brothers and say, this is the, this is the fatherly instincts. It's actually what's so, that's part of the glory of this text is I look at the sister and say, here's the motherly and fatherly instincts that are actually meant to shape you. And look at the brother and say, these are the motherly and fatherly instincts that are meant to shape you in your disciple-making of others. And so both apply to both of us, men and women. And so let's start by helping you develop motherly instincts in discipling others. And there's two main instincts that I, want, I think the text highlights that I want to draw our attention to. And the first is this, a motherly instinct to show attention to give attentive care. Now, you just got to pause for a moment and just realize this. Who's writing this? The Apostle Paul, along with his co-workers, Timothy and Silas, right? You have these grown men that are reaching for an analogy, an illustration to describe their ministry among the Thessalonians. And this is the analogy that these grown men reach for, to describe themselves and their hearts toward these people. I hope that by itself will help us as men to kind of realize, wow, these are the kind of men we want to be. Men we, want to be. we want to be strong, but we want to be really tender in a well-developed heart and a heart that's really suited to make faithful, well-rounded disciples. It's going to have both of these instincts. It's going to have these motherly instincts. And so, These grown men reach for this analogy like a mother, right? Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Can you think of a different image, you know, to capture the kind of tenderness, the kind of gentleness, the kind of attentiveness that we see in a mother? I mean, there's no analogy in creation that you could reach for that you to improve upon this one. So he reaches for motherhood in order to describe this picture of attentiveness, the kind of attention that they showed these disciples. And it's a perfect one. I mean, think of, think of a first-time mom, okay? Maybe you've been one or you at least know one, okay? So the baby's growing in the womb. Oh, the mind starts turning, Right, and they're starting to think about. They're thinking about baby's development. Is baby okay? What? Starting to think about the nest that has to be created, and all these things are going into. And this, the baby's still in the womb at this point, 
right? And I'm, this is just, I'm just giving the tip of the iceberg on something. That there's so much more into the service. But then when the baby comes, oh boy, kicks into overdrive, right? All of the ways that this mother is going to just rally to care for the needs of this child. Make sure they're fed. Are they breathing? Right? There's just so many thoughts that are going to go in to attending to the child and its needs. And so, you know, we talk a lot about discipleship because it's at the heart of what Jesus wants us to be doing until he comes back again, right? But if you're someone that goes, okay, been to this church in a little while, hear a lot of talk about this, but if I'm honest, I'm having a hard time kind of getting my mind and heart around this idea of discipleship. I want to go, look, I don't want to overcomplicate it, okay? In one sense, we spend our whole Christian life getting to know the full kind of texture and contours to scriptures. And those things continually inform us as disciple makers. And so we just keep growing over time. But the basics are so reachable. And they're so easily understood. You know, if we just stop and think, you know, in a sense we can say, well, the breadth of it, it can be hard to get the mind around. But just think, what do mothers do? If you can answer that question, you're going to be well on your way to thinking well about discipleship. What do mothers do? They think about their child. They say, is my child fed? Is my child safe? Is my child loved? As they get a little older, how, how is my child treating others? Seems so basic, but this is really the stuff of discipleship. You know, to have that attentiveness to go, okay, is, is this person that I'm discipling, that I'm trying to do spiritual good for, are they well fed? Are they being nourished well spiritually? right? And you're going to try to attend to that and insist on it and try to take pains to make sure that they're being well fed. Are they safe? Are there certain temptations and things like that that they're succumbing to? There's this motherly instinct to make sure that they're safe and so you're not going to overlook the dangers to the person that you're wanting to care for. Are they loved, right? Is their heart being nourished by love, not just by you, but by others, right? So you're wanting to help them experience that love, How are they treating others? You're paying attention. You have an eye to those things. And you're wanting to shape and inform how they're treating others on the basis of God's word. And so you could ask yourself, you know, do I or do you lack attentiveness toward others? It's a good question to ask, right? Because what is so natural for a mother of her own children can be quite unnatural to us when it comes to other people's children. That's kind of what's wild about this. Paul didn't have any kids, right? Paul didn't have any kids. But Paul is saying, I give my attention to you like you were my own. Like that's how I cared for you. So you look at that young mother and the kind of attentive care she shows for her children, we're going, that's meant to translate into the Christian life and the kind of attention we share toward the health and growth and maturity toward other believers. It's not immediately natural to us to do that. Why? Because we can be really self-centered, and we can make our lives about us. And so when we ask the question, you know, do I lack this attentiveness toward others? I think we all do at some point, but we had to start by acknowledging it for what it is and recognizing from the scriptures, this is actually meant to be an instinct in the Christian life, to acknowledge it, to confess it to the Lord, to pray about it, to pray about it with others because this is something that God wants to develop in each one of us where the kind of care we could show for our own children 
our hearts expand so that we can share that kind of show that kind of care for those who are not ours, but they that feels like it in terms of the affection, the care that we have for them. And so we wanna we wanna develop it. And again, you know, Paul didn't have any children, but he treated those who were not his like they were his own. And this this is what the gospel can do to a heart. In fact, this is what the gospel will do to a heart that's open. Because we recognize in the gospel that, you know, God had one son, his name is Jesus, and he was perfect. God didn't need any other ones. (laughs) Sorry to burst any bubbles, but I'm quite sure he didn't need me (laughs) or you, right? But God's heart was big enough to fold in (laughs) not a few other ones, right? Right? Like the stars of the sky, the sand of the seashore, fold them in. This is what God did. And he cares for us with that kind of attentiveness. And that's why the Apostle Paul is pointing to this analogy of the way that a mom would care for her own children. That's why I loved alluding to um, and reading for us in my prayer at the beginning, this text from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Can a, can a woman forget her nursing child? What's the answer to that question? What's implied? No, highly, highly unlikely, right? Most certainly not. That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Unthinkable. Even these may forget in a fallen world. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And so what's so beautiful about discipling done well, and discipling done out of this kind of heart, is it's a constant reminder of what? God's attentiveness, the way God loves us in Christ. And so if there's not a culture of discipleship in a local church, there's a big disconnect between, you know, how God cares for us because we're meant to have, it's meant to have flesh on it, right? God wants to enflesh his love in the local church. And by God's grace, we have a growing culture of that. But the heart is, is the scriptures are going to keep driving this home into us until every last one of us is caught up into that sticky part of the church where, where this is a normal part of how we live together and we want to give ourselves to it. And so, yes, feel this motherly instinct to show attention. And this is what God wants to develop in each of our hearts. And if, you're, if you ever get foggy, okay, what, are we, what am I supposed to be doing in disciple making in? Just remember what moms do. Just think about, give some time to think about what moms do and it'll set you on the right track. The second motherly instinct is not just to show attention, but to make sacrifices. Is to make sacrifices. Verse eight, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Not just the gospel of God, but our own selves. This is really quite beautiful. We're going to give you both the gospel and ourselves. You've heard that saying, that I poured my heart and my soul into, like literally say, saying we gave ourselves, literally the word is soul there, right? We are to give ourselves to Others, you know, we won't be born without the gospel. And we won't grow without this kind of care, right? 
So Paul, we, we didn't just give you the gospel, right? We had to give you the gospel because that's the only way for you to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But we had to give our very selves in order to see you grow. This is a huge part of the Christian life. We want to emphasize evangelism because it's important for people to get the gospel, right? Because that's how people are born again to a living hope. But it's also important to emphasize discipleship. You don't just leave a newborn, right? You catch them. And then you do everything to attentively nurture them until they grow up into maturity. This is for everybody in the Christian life. Can you imagine a mom saying something like this to their child? Look, I gave birth to you. What more do you want? (laughs) That's insane, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, we all have our bad days. I mean, things can be said in the heat of the moment, I understand. But that's not a normal thing to say, you know? It's not a normal thing to say. That's not the typical instinct, right, of a mother. Because a mother understands what? Like, I'm going to go through the necessary pain of seeing you born, and and I'm going to go through the necessary sacrifices of watching you grow to bring about your growth. Paul's saying, I didn't just give you the gospel. I gave you myself. And as Christians, we are not meant to choose between those two. We're meant to give people the gospel. And I ask you, are you giving people the gospel? That's the only way for them to be born. That's the only way for them to become children of God is through the gospel being proclaimed through them. And so give them the gospel, but don't stop there. Make it clear that you want to give your very self to them because this is at the heart of the instinct that God wants us to have in disciple making. Mothers give themselves in all kinds of ways, don't they? This is still the analogy we're working with. Think about the ways that mothers give. This is eye-opening to think about, you know? Um, You know, Karin, we have five children, so I've I've had a front row seat to Karin's sacrifices, and it blows my mind. It blows my mind. And so, but we know mothers, it's good for us to think about our own mothers and the sacrifices they made. By the way, I thought this would be, this would have been a great Mother's Day sermon or Father's Day sermon. I should have punted this. But, um... (laughs) Just, just know the spirit of it when that day comes and it's not related at all to the topic. Um, but think about the sacrifices that mothers make. Think about the sacrifice of sleep. <sighs> the sleep they're willing to give up for that first six months they can walk around like zombies. The energy that's sapped is part of the sacrifice. You know, even as they're growing a baby, or nursing a baby, the nutrients they give, so literally giving of themselves, of their own life. I think some moms would testify to this. They give up some mental clarity. <laughs> or even just a lot of personal preferences, things that you would desire, but you're going, I gotta lay that down for the sake of another life here, to grow this life. Or the leisure you would enjoy, all of a sudden now it gets framed because you've got someone else in mind the body, oh, the, the things that a body goes through in order to bear and rear a child. And they're saying, well, my life, my body was not meant to be put in a museum. My body was meant to be spent for the life and nourishing of another. There's a certain glory to this. And Paul's pointing at it and saying, yeah, that's how we cared for you. That's what's under the surface. This is why we're caring for you the way we did. This is why we brought the gospel to you, and this is why we stuck around to make sure you could grow. And that's why we've made provision for you even when we were forced to leave. So you kind of get the heartbeat 
here. In the same way that a mother would make all these sacrifices, naturally, the disciple maker will make similar sacrifices supernaturally. And um, so, do you give the gospel? People can't be born without it. Do you give yourself? People can't grow without your sacrifice. I'm meant to feel that here. Now, think other ways practically. You know, we talked about motherhood, and it's true. You can just follow that path, and you'll get a lot of insights into discipleship. But let's just tease that out a little bit more, okay? Um, what are some other ways you can practically give yourself, right, to other people? First one, be available. What are you sacrificing there? Time. This is one of the biggest ones in our culture. This is why it's so hard for a culture of discipleship to be formed in a local church, even though this is at the heart of what we're called to do until Jesus comes back. People love their time, and they love to spend it in the way they want to spend it. Instead of saying, Lord, you've given me breath, right? You've given me breath, and I want to use it for your glory. And I can tell you from the scriptures, the heart of what we're meant to be doing is spending time discipling other people. It's a sacrifice to give up time, but we got to make ourselves available or people won't feel like they can come to us. And life is too messy to just give them a quick little fix. They need time. They need time, and it takes time. So be available. Sacrifice time. Um, another way to practically give yourself is to teach what you know and learn what you don't. Both of those are really important. Teach what you know. Some of you will, pro- will, will be tempted until you die to be like, I'm just not ready to be discipling others. Just going, most American Christians are so fat on knowledge. We got to get exercise in this stuff, right? We're way too fat on knowledge. We have to start using it. We're made to use it. And what's beautiful about it is that the more we exercise it, the more it informs our knowledge. We actually become a lot wiser by actually doing it by applying the knowledge that we're learning. It becomes wisdom that gets embedded into our souls and we become really more skillful at actually using it the way it was designed to be used. And so, yes, uh, teach what you know, but then learn what you don't. And this is the beauty of it. When you're actually engaged in discipling others, it constantly shows you your holes. It's humbling. It's good for the soul to recognize, okay, ah, don't know, don't know much about that. I need to... I need to think about it. Think about a young mom. What do they do when they're concerned about something for their baby? Praise God for the internet, right? <laughs> or, right, they're watching YouTube videos. They're reading every article they can. They're checking out books they didn't even read before, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're willing to do whatever it takes. They're calling mom. They're calling someone, another sister in the church. They want to figure out what they're going to do to take care of this baby. Christians need to think that way. It's not natural, Right? We might do some of that research for ourselves, but would we do that to get what we need to be equipped to help other people? A culture of doing that, you do that for a decade, the Lord will transform your, more, your mind and your heart. And the beauty of it is we're meant to stack decade upon decade upon decade, and what kind of wise people will that create over time? This is a powerful thing. This is God's, this is God's will. And just a really quick aside here. I was so blessed. I got a text from our sister, Lois Hokanson, older woman, widow in the church, but heart that loves Jesus. And I got a text that just stopped me in my kitchen and my eyes were welling up with tears when I read it because she, she sent this text basically saying, I'm so thankful to be at this age in this stage of life. I'm paraphrasing. This, this age in this stage of life and not be wondering what my purpose is. And I just want to go, yeah, 
That's God's design. No man or no woman who follows Jesus has to be wondering what they should be doing 30 years from now. Like I like to say this sometimes, the Karn and I are not scratching our heads wondering what we're going to be doing when we're empty nesters. We're just going to have greater capacity to do what we're already doing by God's grace. Like in other words, we look forward to that because we're going to be able to attend more needs and disciple more people. It's a beautiful thing. In other words, like you're not meant to be purposeless. You know, you're not meant to check out in the old age, right? I even think about the priests of old in the Old Testament when they retired, right? They retired, but they became gatekeepers at the temple, right? They had a significant role to play there, right? Don't check out. It's never too late to grow and be equipped and pass on what you know and to learn what you don't so that you can keep helping others. Here's another thing you can do to give yourself. Open your heart. Easier said than done, right? Open your heart, which means you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be able to teach not just from things you've learned intellectually, but things you've experienced, which means it's not always you know, the flowering things that you can share. You can speak out of ways that you failed, ways that you messed up, ways that you've misstepped. That's part of imparting wisdom to other people. But to open your heart, to be vulnerable, to be real about your struggles, ask them to pray for you. I think as a discipleship relationship grows, the more of that that happens, it's a beautiful thing because none of us have arrived, right? Another thing we could do to, to uh, practically give yourself more fully is to open your home and share some of your most precious resources from the food, but also to your family, right? I think about that. One of the most precious gifts I can give is to have someone around my table, right? To be able to sit down with my wife and my children and to fold them into what I get to enjoy every day, to fold them into the love of our family. So opening the home Right? This, is, this is really important to open the home and to share precious resources. Maybe, maybe there are books on your shelves. Maybe it's the truck you can lend them for this project. Maybe it's a tool. Right? There's little things. There's big things. There's everything in between. Maybe it's a good friend that's really wise that you've benefited a lot. You're saying, hey, I don't know the answer to this question, but come, visit me. Like You connect them to other people because you want them to get the help that they need. Um. More ways, bear burdens and share joys. It's the basic stuff of the Christian life. This is what we do to give ourselves. Bear burdens, get close enough to the things that they're struggling with and the joys they're experiencing so that you can feel them. So that their burden, in a sense, becomes your burden. So that their joy becomes your joy. Let love be genuine. This is part of what it looks like here on the ground. Be patient to repeat lessons and also affirm growth, right? You're going to have to repeat things over and not expect someone to get it right away, just like we didn't get it right away. We need multiple times from different angles, but also affirm growth, even baby steps. Be, the, be their biggest cheerleader. And, and I'm going to close that, this part by just saying, we also need wisdom to know when to wean people, right? Just like a mother needs wisdom to know when to wean a child, we need wisdom to know when to wean. So there's this, this dynamic that happens when you're discipling a newer believer is they depend on you a lot for a lot of things. And that's natural. There's a certain beauty to that. There's a stewardship to that. But to recognize that if they kept that level of dependence indefinitely, that would not be healthy for them. That wouldn't be good for their souls. And so what you're trying to actually get is you're trying to actually build the confidence where they can stand on their own two feet. You're gonna say at the end of this passage, 
Paul is going to charge them, them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There's a point where you got to walk on your own two feet, right? That's what we're building toward, to be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so slowly what you're going to do is maybe there's questions that they're coming to you with that you know you could answer, but you also know that someone else in the church can answer it. So you just gently redirect them because you want them to build relationships with others and for there to be a sweet interdependence so it's not all channeled to you. This is hard as a parent, isn't it? Like as parents, because there's always that need to be needed and there's a sweetness to it at point, but then it can become idolatrous where we start trying to channel it all to us. There's a wisdom to know what's going to be best for the child. What's going to be best for my son and daughter or my son and daughter in the faith? We've got to let them grow. We've got to let them spread their wings. They've got to let them realize that all the wisdom doesn't come from me and that, in fact, it's going to strengthen them to see that it comes from other places and other people. So I think you get a sense of ways that we can spend ourselves as we think about this motherly instinct to make sacrifices. But here's my encouragement to you is that there's a quiet joy. There's a quiet glory in discipling kind of like there is in mothering, right? In mothering, they're up in the middle of the night nursing a child. It's just them, God, and this little baby. And they're sustaining life. It's so beautiful. It's the same thing in discipleship, you know? It's one thing to share the gospel, the fireworks go off, someone gets saved. It's another thing to do the nitty-gritty stuff that no one else sees. And this is the stuff that builds people deep over time. It might just be you sitting across the coffee table from someone else, right? Might be you going on a walk with someone else and sowing these truths into their lives. But you, them, and God, and God sees it, and he loves it. He loves when we operate with this kind of motherly instinct to care and be attentive and make the sacrifices necessary. And I can testify, I can testify to the richness of relationships that come from attending and sacrificing in these ways. I don't point myself as a perfect example of this. I'm constantly seeing the ways I can grow, even as a dad discipling my children and as a brother discipling others in the church. There's ways that I fail. There's ways I failed this week that I've had to bring before the Lord. But I have tasted the richness of these investments. Over time, there is such a sweetness that comes from these relationships as they mature. And you start watching them starting to disciple other people. And I am thrilled at the thought of doing that for a lifetime. I'm very glad to spend my life that way and to see what God does for it, does with it for eternity. And some of those seeds might not sprout right away, but I just want to say this should be this we want this to be our mentality as a church and as Christians walking with Jesus. So brothers and sisters, develop a motherly instinct to disciple others through showing attention and through making necessary sacrifices. The second is this. Develop fatherly instincts in discipling others. These will go more quickly. A father's work ethic. This is one thing I want to point out from verse 9. It says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So this is a beautiful thing. This was Paul's example. He gave them a certain work ethic, labor and toil, night and day. Paul was a tent maker. They may have been making tents with him, but his desire was these 
young believers, they didn't have a lot of money. They couldn't pay for him to, like, to support them, even though that's something he could expect as an apostle because the laborer is deserving of his wages. But he's like, I didn't want to be a burden to any of you. I just wanted to get you the gospel. I wanted to help you grow. Whatever it took, I took the burden on myself. I worked myself to the bone for you. In other words, there was a willingness. Again, this highlights the sacrifice, and this is not unique to the, the fatherliness of it. In fact, grammatically, it could connect as much to the, to the section on the motherliness, the motherly instinct, because there's a labor, a toil that goes in, in both directions. But, um, but there's this, this mindset that says, I signed up for this. This is part of my commitment to follow Jesus Christ is a willingness to toil, a willingness to labor, a willingness to give myself for the sake of the maturity of others. Think of Colossians 1, 29, 28 and 29. Listen to how Paul says this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It is labor, it is toil, but ultimately it's energy being supplied from the Lord as we go about doing the things that he calls us to do. And um, so to illustrate the work ethic, I want to quote, this is another, another plug for the book that Elder Jake's going to be bringing some brothers and sisters through. So Mark Dever says this, um, we are not pig-like. That's typical Dever right there. Just leave it hanging there. We are not pig-like as Christians. What do you mean, Mark? Okay, here we go. I'm going to read, read just a quote here to describe the work ethic, the willingness to labor and toil. Quote, true Christian faith is not pig-like. It does not look out only for itself, and it is not lazy. Like Paul, it works. It works for others. It works with the energy supplied by God who works powerfully in us. It works by proclaiming, warning, teaching, and it works so that others might be presented mature in Christ on the day of his coming, end quote. It captures it, doesn't it? It takes work. We signed up for this. And uh, just a really quick word before I leave this subpoint under these fatherly instincts is I want to say a word to young parents because I think you can hear this, um, you can hear this uh, message right now in discipling and the work ethic and the sacrifice and the attentiveness. And you're just going, look, I'm swimming with the sacrifice and attentiveness for my own family right now. Like that's plenty for me. And I can sympathize with that an awful lot. Um, but I just want to say this, there's a season for everything. Okay. So I want to just give a general bit of, I think, wisdom that I think can help give you a kind of a framework and a trajectory for how to think about this. And I think if we followed this, this would honor the principles that we're talking about today. And so think about this. When you're in a season with young children, you have, there's a certain demand that that takes, right? We don't want to miss it. That's a season. There's a window of time. We got to take full advantage of it. So I want to say like, there's going to be an emphasis in your life for a season, on discipling your own children, learning how to care for their souls. And there's nothing to be ashamed of there. In fact, it would be wrong to neglect that while doing other great things, right? So I want to say there is a need to focus on the home front for a season. But here's the thing. Here's my caveat to that, okay? Is that while you're focusing on that, and that should be the proper emphasis for that season, you should be doing things that are going to be growing your capacity, 
stretching yourself so that you're starting to get used to caring not only for your own, but also for others, right? So it might be like, oh man, okay, I'm, I'm up to here with, uh, with um, laundry right now. How could I do anything else? Well, you could invite that younger sister over and have her help you fold laundry and you can talk to her about the things of God while you're doing that. In other words, stretch yourself. Don't check out for the season because you know what's going to happen is you're most likely just going to kind of get ingrown, ingrown with your family and your heart's not going to expand to the point where there'll just be too much whiplash when the time comes to transition to empty nesting. So I want to say, kind of set that trajectory, kind of a gas gas and clutch kind of thing where it's like put the emphasis on caring for your children, discipling them when they're young, but the older they're getting, you're starting to give more outside, okay? And so I'm not claiming to know the perfect balance of that, but I think generally speaking, that's a helpful way to think about it. And I'd encourage parents to think of that way. Stretch those disciple-making muscles. Be able to fold others in. So a father's work ethic, I think that fatherly instinct to do whatever it takes in order to help others get what they need. Um, second, a father's example. A father's example. Look with me at verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Now, this isn't new. We saw this in uh, large matter back in chapter 1. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 5, for example, He says this midway through verse five. He says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And then he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So Paul was saying, we were examples to you. You know what kind of men we lived. We wanted to be, so in other words, the application here is we need to be people that live lives worthy of emulation. We want to live the kind of lives that, you know, we all know this as parents when we are out of step and we're doing something we shouldn't and then we see it mimicked in our children, we go, oh boy, right? And so that can happen in discipleship relationships too, but the point is like we want to keep growing in godliness and so the things that they're mimicking are actually healthy things and good things and wholesome things. And so we want to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul, Timothy, Silas are striving for this. They're saying, come along with us. And they're saying, even as younger believers, these young believers are already starting to imitate them. Remember, their reputation has spread far and wide already. So really encouraging words here. And, but here's an obvious thing. We must let people close enough to learn from our lives. And this is not always comfortable. We must let people close, live close enough to us so that they can see our lives. Otherwise, they're not going to catch it because so many things are better caught than taught. And so they get to see how you react to certain situations. And that becomes shaping for them, right? They see how you think through a certain issue. They see how you discipline a kid, right? They see how you manage all these different responsibilities that you have with growing grace. How you turn to the Lord when you're discouraged about something, when you're overwhelmed by something. How you ask for forgiveness when you fail. All these things are built-in lessons that can be learned if they can be close enough to see them. So let people in close enough. We got to be intentional about this, modeling faithfulness, even in the small little things. And so the more we walk the walk, the more our words are going to matter to people. When they can see it in our lives potently, our words are going to carry weight. And that leads us to the last one, a father's instruction, right? So a father's work ethic, a father's example, a father's instruction, 
And he says this, verses 11 and 12. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Listen to that whole range of speech. We exhorted, we encouraged, we charged. And notice this fatherly language. And I think there's such, a, there's such an application to fatherhood here too. Again, this applies to women as well, but fathers are not meant to be dispassionate in their speech. <laughs> like we, there's meant to be weight to our words. We want to know some things about the things of God so that when we talk, they carry weight. And we want our lives to back it up so then we speak, it carries weight. And so we exhorted, we encouraged, we charged. This does not sound like passive men, does it? Oh, to be men of God, that God would help us to lay down and reject our passivity and accept the responsibility that we have, not just in our homes, but in the Christian life to be those who can speak, exhort, encourage, charge. Father's words carry special weight. That's Paul's kind of point here. They carry a special weight. They have a shaping effect and a stabilizing effect. A father's words fitly spoken, backed up by a life, can just give ballast to the boat so that when storms come, they're not capsizing. They're able to, they're able to ride it out because they're, these words were instilled in them. And so our words carry this special weight in our discipling relationships. This is a stewardship thing, okay? This is an influence that God wants every Christian to have it's at varying degrees, right? To have influence in other people's lives. Our words carry weight. They matter. We know that. Those who are discipling others, you know that. Your words carry weight with these people. And so that's nothing to shy away from, okay? But it's also nothing to abuse. So it needs a lot of wisdom, but we need to own this. I want my words to be shaped by the things of God, the truths of God, so that they carry a proper weight and they have a stabilizing effect, that they're, they bring safety into their lives so that they're encouraged, so that they're fed, so that they get the perspective they need. And to think of how powerful these words can be, they actually shape people's trajectories. And I'd go, that's actually God's design. If, if our thinking and our words are shaped by God's will from his word, it's a powerful thing to be used of God in those ways. And the aim, again, is to get them walking. In what direction? In a manner worthy of the Lord, in a way that is fitting, given all that Jesus Christ has done. And fitting, this, and fitting given the spirit that he's given us and the word that's been entrusted to us. And so here's my concluding thoughts. Okay, so the mission, the mission in scripture is clear, isn't it? Make disciples, and help those disciples grow. But so are the motives. These are the kinds of things under the surface. And you can boil it down in this text. We want to have motherly and fatherly instincts. We want these things to shape our hearts as we show care for other believers and as we share the gospel with unbelievers. But ultimately, ultimately, these motives that we've considered, and I hope that they've been beautiful to you when you stop and reflect on them. Ultimately, these motives are seen in Jesus Christ himself. I think that's why there's such a resonance. That's why there's such a beauty. I mean, God created motherhood. God created fatherhood. And we're meant to live out those offices, those roles in such a way that show something about God. So that when people experience our ministry, our care, it shows them 
what God is like. It reminds them. They feel the smile of God by your ministry to them. And so when we are living out of these motives, we're getting to really showcase the motives that are in Jesus Christ himself. Think about this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I want you to really ponder this. Think about these motives, okay? Think about the sacrifices that Jesus Christ has made. Ultimately, his death on the cross for sinners, he says, he says, no one took my life from me, but I laid it down. I gave myself, I poured my life and my soul out so that you could have life. I paid attention to every painstaking detail of my life so that not only you could have life, but so that you'd have an example to follow. I worked harder than any of them. I made whatever sacrifices necessary. And don't we see this throughout the whole, all the gospels, right? I mean, Jesus just got done ministering and now he's sharing with a broken woman at the well without batting an eye, right? He's been caring for people all day long. And wouldn't he just love to sit down to a meal? But he gives up food to help a few more. This is how he thought, right? And so my appeal to you who don't know Christ and haven't been changed by him is that you would recognize his sacrifice and that you would let him to attend to the needs of your soul. He knows what you need. And he may be calling you today by his word and I want you to see this picture of him to see what he's done so that you could have life what he's done so that you have a gospel, good news about him to believe so that you can be born again, so that you could become a child of God. But I also want you to know this. If you've put your faith in Christ, he's calling you to walk with a body of believers and to be mutually discipled by one another so that you can grow. Because he cares not just that you're born, but that you grow up. And he, you could say, stays with you long enough to make sure that happens. I am with you always to the end of the age. He gives us his spirit so that we're not left as orphans so that we can actually have everything that we need to grow. Praise God for giving us his spirit. And brothers and sisters, I want this reality to really sink home to your heart today. When you think about the nitty gritty of discipleship and it's right for us to be challenged by the kind of heart that God wants us to have as we go about fulfilling the mission and making disciples, Don't apologize for that. I think all of us need to be stretched and grow in that way. But this is really what I want you to hear. I want you to, I want this to fuel you as you leave today. I want you to realize that this is really a reflection of God's character. He really is that attentive to you. Like you might feel like the failures of brothers and sisters. Yeah, I wish this brother was more caring or this sister was more thoughtful. It's like at the end of the day, we're all kind of frail trying this thing out. But God, right, even a mother who so naturally attends to her children, could forget. It'd be rare, but she could forget her child. But God will never forget those who are in Christ. And that's something I think this morning that some of you really need to take deeper and let it sink into your heart by faith and go, he's attentive to me. He's attentive to me. And I pray that that seed will sink in there and then you'll go, he knows. 
He knows. He's taking thought of me. He's attending to me. He's made all these sacrifices for me. He's continuing to work for my good, right? And then the same passage that says in Isaiah, Isaiah 49, when it says that, that God will not forget you, though a nursing mother might forget her own, it says that, that we're graven on his hands. Hmm, whose hands are those? <laughs> these nail-scarred hands with your name as sons and daughters of God engraven on them. And where does Jesus sit right now? at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Is it possible for God to forget his own? No, he will not forget you. So don't believe lies that way. Recognize his attentiveness. Recognize what he's done. Recognize what kind of care he has shown your soul and continues to show show your soul and let it shape you so that you're not going through your life purposeless when he has given you, not just a clear mission, but the kind of motives that should shape you as you're living out the Christian life. And I just pray that God will, and I'm going to let you pray as a church, that God will work these motives in us for his glory. Because it's one thing to say, hey, believe this about God. It's another thing for a church to live this out in such a way that's constantly watering those seeds. So let's pray for that. And uh, I'm going to have a couple guys running the mics. Do I have a couple guys running the mics? Philip, would you? One other brother, Lenny. Okay, so we're going to have a time of congregational prayer. So you can just raise your hand. We're going to keep the mics going around for a few minutes. And we're going to, in sense, respond to God's word in prayer because there's so many things we're longing for him to do. And we have not because we ask not. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for brothers and sisters. And you've heard our cries. And Lord, I can see that um, you're coming back, Lord Jesus. We know that. And we know that your coming is meant to help encourage us to have pure motives, Lord, and to let, let the coming of Christ and the glory that's going to be revealed burn away the impurities of our motives. Lord, I pray that our worship and our lives would be pure and that we would offer our bodies as holy and living sacrifices to you, not conform to this world and its agenda, but conform to your word and your will. In Jesus' name, amen.